0: Hello, this is Wade from Adewin National Tallgrass Prairie. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Also, can we go back to this real quick? Got to take care of the floors, you know, the floors of the forest. Why does he call it the floor of the forest? It's the ground. Does he also call the sky the ceiling of the earth? The more he talks, the clearer it is that he has never been outside. (laughs) These wildfires, they're so... The floor is filthy. Now we got to mop it up. We'll also be replacing these wood columns (laughs) with steel beams. And as you can see, the roof is, you know, it's gone.
1: It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green... Gardening and Environment Radio, flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877 711 5611.
2: Good planets are hard to find, temperate zones and tropic climbs, true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing breathing trees. Strong goes on and safe sunshine. will Good planets are
3: hard to find. Good planets. This week's plan show plan is plan brought to you by Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights. USA made with a five-year warranty. Jumpstart your plants with better light. And by Sitka Salmon Shares, bringing responsible and sustainable wild Alaskan seafood direct to your door.
1: And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova.
4: Are we ready to do this? Oh, We're ready. And the hum came back. I was, I was just hoping. Yeah, it's a little bit there. I think it's a little better. Great. Still there, though. Hey,
3: Welcome. It's going to start humming in jingle bells or something.
4: Uh, something like that because yeah. we have a, well, I'm in the festive holiday mood. So are you? Look at you with your, you should turn the antlers on backwards because they're brown on the other side. They're red on one side and brown on the other side. If you're looking at Facebook Live, Peggy's got her antlers on. <laughs> there we go. And if you're looking at, there we go. Looking at mine, all right, uh, let's put the hat on. we got to
3: do the full. Ooh. the full deal here. Don't all radio hosts dress like this? Of course. Uh, I didn't get the formal call this morning.
4: Wait a second. See if you can get away from there. There we go. Yay. And and, uh, (laughs) Dickens with headsets.
3: Okay. (laughs) Uh, So would you like to explain to our non-Facebook audience your attire today? Uh, Well, you know,
4: a little top hat from the uh, 19th century, a cravat, a little... uh, Tuxedo tails, a little vest, a little red vest, and uh,
3: the, the the nice holiday tartan on your cravat there.
4: Exactly, and uh, and then I'm off to uh, sing some Christmas carols after <laughs> after the show. Doesn't every host do this? Okay, uh, well, welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're so glad you're with us. It's uh, in this neck of the world. I was we were listening on the way in. For those of you uh, not in Chicago, there's a there's a fishing show on before us. Uh, at uh, WCGO in Chicago, uh, Mike Jackson. And he was talking about the lakes in Minnesota, and I was fascinated to hear that they're icing over Hmm. rather nicely. The guy on the line was talking about how how it's like in the old days. So apparently it's been a cold start to the winter, and here we are beginning of December, and those lakes are freezing over, Mm -hmm. while here in the Southland, Chicago... (laughs) It's raining and it's warm. It's in the 40s today. So, and that we had a big snow. But that will change. That will change. And and uh, our meteorologist, Rick DeMaio, will be telling us about that. But uh, yeah, it it changed over from snow last week to rain this week. And you know, this is all you you take it in stride mm-hmm. in December. That's that's kind of what's going
3: on. Although there's uh, a lot of portions of the country that do have a lot of snow. Uh, I was reading yesterday how much snow the Dakotas are getting in the Black Hills. Yeah. Yeah, so you were telling me
4: that uh, you were listening to us on KOTA, and um, they the forecast in the weather report was what seven inches seven
3: inches plus yesterday. Yeah,
4: yeah. So uh, hope you guys have shoveled out by now. Uh, and look at I've got product placement here, <laughs> my open water sparkling water, and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about first thing, uh, because you know we talk environmental issues on the show as well as gardening. So this hour, it's Environment first, sparkling water. Why it's in an aluminum can? Sustainable packaging for plastic-free oceans. It says here, mm-hmm. and as you know, plastic is a uh, is a real issue um, yeah, on this planet. We are we are absorbing it. We uh, are. It, it's we're finding it in
3: insects. It's in the food chain it's everywhere. A, it's
4: everywhere, and. Yet, yet, when I was researching for this, I saw in our art, several articles that said, "Well, we can't wean ourselves off of plastic because all kinds of trouble will happen for that." What? This article so, so, sponsored by? <laughs> I, I don't know, but I think one of them was in the Guardian and one was yeah. someplace else. And I thought, "You guys got to be kidding me!" So we go down, we go down this cul-de-sac where we have all this plastic, um, and you're going to tell us we can't get out of it because bad things will happen. Well, bad things are happening now. <laughs> Okay. Well, we we'll are talk about that first with uh, Nicole Doucet from Open Water. Uh, then we're talking poinsettias. Speaking of the holiday season, the holidays. Oh, that was terrible. There you go. Much better. Uh, poinsettias. Tired. Oh, my goodness. I'm very excited to have Bill McLaughlin from the U.S. Botanic Garden in Washington, D.C. Uh, he'll be on the line, as well as an old buddy of mine, Joe Hygen, from Shady Hill Gardens in Elburn, Illinois, One of them is going to talk about breeding poinsettias backward. We'll explain what that means. And the other is going to talk about breeding them forward. So that's all happening on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Glad you're with us. We hope you stick around. We'll be right back.
3: This is Peggy Malecki. The end of summer doesn't mean the end of growing season. That's when I bring tropicals, scented geraniums, and herbs onto my porch Plug in my Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights and watch them thrive all winter long. 50,000-plus hour minimum lifespan, five-year warranty, USA made. Go to happyleafled.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code Mike. Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, summer light in the middle of winter. From boat to boat to rooftop. Yep. Enjoy wild Alaskan
4: seafood harvest this holiday season, or give it as a gift. The Sitka Salmon Shares Holiday Box includes the highest quality, sustainable seafood items for you and the people on your gift list.
3: Kata and Coho Salmon, Pacific Cod, one grilling plank, two specialty spice rubs, one pinbone removal guide, and three holiday-themed recipes.
4: Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Happy holidays from their fishing families to yours.
1: Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals?
5: Danny Seymour might play Santa Claus to you tonight, and he might fill up your stockings with that 51 grand if you can identify the phantom voice. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, make it so,
4: make it so, make it so. Uh, Our guest knows this. Doesn't show signs (laughs) of stopping. Have you heard this before?
5: I've
6: heard it a couple times.
5: Uh, Teal gray hot. The lights turned way down low. Make it so. Make it so. Make it so. When we we finally kiss. Good (laughs) night. How I hate going out in the storm. But if you. Really? Shut up, Wesley. (laughs) Uh, All the way home, I'll be
7: warm. Oh, the fire is slowly
1: dying, and
7: my dear,
5: we're still good him, but
0: as long as you love me so, make it so,
5: make it so, make it so. Shut up, Wesley.
4: All right. <laughs> <laughs> can't tell uh, if Randall liked that or not. I know. I, I can't tell from his reaction. Did you like that, Randall, or not? While I liked it, I do have one thing to say about you. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, there we go. And All Rand- right. And Randall's contribution to the Mike Novak Show. Welcome! Yeah, we play this stuff during the holiday season because it is the holiday and we got to
3: get it out of our system once a year. Yes,
4: we do. <laughs> I'm very pleased to have uh, Nicole Doucet in the studio with us. Thank you for coming in.
6: No, thank you so much for having me.
4: And you recognize the uh, Make It So th- reference. So I figure anybody who, uh, who's nerdy enough to start a, a water company <laughs> that where you you bottle water in aluminum probably understands the whole star trek thing so uh, um and i guess we let me start with my story a few years ago i went to some sort of event and got a swag bag and in the swag bag was a aluminum can with a twist top on Mm -hmm. it um and there was water in it It was from a company called green sheep that's right green sheep water and i I had never heard of green sheep water, but I enjoyed drinking the water. And then I started refilling it over and over. And I carried that can around with me for months, threw it in my bag, Mm -hmm. you know, and I would refill it and twist it and top on it. And then finally, you know, it's aluminum. It gets beat up after a while. But the good thing about that was I knew that once I recycle it, that can was actually going to get recycled because that's a valuable commodity.
6: Exactly. Exactly.
4: And Green Sheep, as it turns out, is open water.
6: That's right. We changed our name back in September.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, you should have consulted me first. I'm sorry. I, 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 <laughs> honest to goodness. Because you know what? No, and I and I hate to bust you on the air, but I, I would have said, don't do it. Really? I love Green Sheep. Yeah. I just, I think... Because it's so different.
6: Yes. And that's, that's why we named it Green Sheep at the beginning. We wanted something that was very different from any other bottled water company and kind yeah. of like projected the fact that we were not the same as all the other companies out there. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that when you use, a, you know, packaging that people are not used to, mm-hmm. um, that is very innovative. And people don't immediately identify what the product is on the shelf. And then on top of that, you add this very quirky name that has something to do with sheep. People <laughs> just like, they just totally lose yeah, that's
4: true. I, I, You know, and I can see it both ways. I like names. Peggy and I have this, this conversation all the time on this show because there's a lot of organizations, um, usually environmental organizations, and then they – they use the word green and they turn themselves into excellent green or mm-hmm. the green team or something. With, and, with
3: a quirky spelling quite with, often.
4: Yeah, and, yeah. And, and we look at each other and say, what does that mean? I have What no do they idea. do? What, yeah. you know, and they usually had a really good name to start with mm-hmm. that was very specific to what they do. Mm-hmm. But then they decide we're going to be broader now. Yeah. and And then they ruin it to me. Because the name means nothing. I don't think it helps. Marketing is a tough thing, as you Marketing know. Marketing is very hard. Yeah. It's, you know. Um,
6: but, but yeah, I think I think our new name kind of uh, puts us a little <laughs> bit closer, um, makes a link better mm-hmm. between what we do and what our mission is, especially because we're so ocean-focused. And so um, I think people understand what it is that we stand for yeah. um, more immediately. Yeah. So...
4: You, you. Why did you start this company? Who and who is you, by the way?
6: So me and Jess Page. She's, uh, she's my co-founder. Mm-hmm. Well, we watched a documentary on plastic pollution when we were in college, um, and I think like everyone, we knew that plastic was an issue, but seeing the numbers was a whole different deal. It, it is, it is. It's incredible, like how much plastic we use. It's incredible how much plastic <laughs> we sent to landfills, we sent yep. to oceans, mm-hmm. and. Um, walking out of the theater, we thought, you know what, this is terrible. Um, and obviously, beverages and bottled water, in particular, are a big contributor to that waste. Um, and we thought, why do people even drink bottled water? You yeah. know, there's hundreds of reusable bottled water brands out there. Um,
4: well, I, I, I think why do people drink bottled water in developed countries like the United right. States? It's, I understand yes. why they drink bottled yeah. water in other parts of the yeah, world. Yeah, I'm from
6: Mexico, so bottled water there is a big you know, a big part of daily life just because tap water is not it's not safe to drink. Right. But but here in the US you have, you know, water fountains everywhere. There's tons of reasonable water Although around. in
4: Chicago some of those water fountains have lead in them, so there you go.
6: Yeah. So so but 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 it turns out I think most of the time it turns out that it's a matter of convenience. Yes. People want something that's cold and ready to go and they're at the airport, they're at a concert, you're at a restaurant, whatever that might be they're playing sports. Exactly. And you want something that's healthy. It's not a soda. Um, but you want it ready to go. And so even people that own reusable bottles and even people that carry you know, their bottle around and yeah. want to refill mm-hmm. it, even those people still buy bottled water from time to time. And if you look at the bottled water industry in general... Um, It keeps growing and growing and growing despite the wide availability, availability of reusable bottles.
4: Americans purchase about 50 billion water bottles per year, averaging about 13 bottles per month for every person in the United States. And we have about 320 million people in the United States. That means by using a reusable water bottle, you could save an average of 156 plastic bottles each yeah. year. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but multiply it times it's, 300 million.
6: It's incredible. Yeah. And, and, and we knew that there was no better solution than that, you know, the reusable bottle that you can refill a thousand times. Mm-hmm. And yet um, people still bought bottled water because of the convenience. And so we, we thought, hey, let's make something that's just as convenient uh, but reduce the impact of the packaging. And it'll serve us this kind of middle ground option where maybe sometimes you don't have your reusable bottle, you mm-hmm. want to purchase bottled water, you'll purchase it in a container that will get recycled, that won't end up in landfills and oceans.
4: Right. The uh, Again, one more statistic. World Plastics production totaled around 335 million metric tons in 2016 alone. So here we are. You've got this idea. I know. Let's use aluminum. Why did you go there?
6: So we actually did a lot of research on different materials. We looked at glass. We looked at plant-based plastics. We looked at cartons, you know, like the box that they mm-hmm. now use for water as well. Um, and we found aluminum. aluminum and we uh, um, learned that aluminum gets recycled more than twice as often as the next best thing. It gets recycled infinitely. So what that means is that if you recycle a can or an aluminum bottle, it gets melted down It doesn't lose any quality or volume in the process. So you can make the exact same product over and over and over and over again indefinitely. Mm -hmm.
4: We had um, Carl Zimmering, uh, who's a friend of mine, and uh, he teaches at uh, Pratt in New York City. And uh, he has written several books on recycling. The latest was called Aluminum Upcycled. And we interviewed him last year. Mm -hmm. He said... Aluminum that was first processed in the early 20th century, you know, 1910, is still being recycled. That's how efficient it, it is.
6: It's amazing. And the average can in the U.S. Um, contains 70% post-consumer aluminum already because because of this, you know, infinitely recyclable yeah. um, factor.
4: Wow. So... Uh, I imagine – and actually, I read this on your site. You ran into some roadblocks, though, because (laughs) you just don't walk into a a bottling company and say, hey, we've just switch it over to aluminum. That'll be easy, won't it? No. It's
6: not. We we pretty much ran into every single problem you could possibly imagine. I think think we've ran out of bad luck now, and that's all good luck going forward.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. You're still here. That's a good thing. And you just – you know, did a brand change, and that's, it, that's always a good sign. It's like, all right, we're moving forward.
6: Yeah, we did, and, and so we, we launched the the still water in the Twist-Off bottle um, in 2014. We launched the Sparkling in 2016, and then this year we launched a 12-ounce can, just a standard can mm-hmm. with water inside. Yeah. And, and we've been using that as it's a lower-priced option, um, and it's been very popular for music festivals, places where people don't necessarily need to carry the bottle with them around.
4: Uh-huh. And, and it's really easy then for uh, folks to put these cans in one kind of container, very easily recognizable. Yes. You know, it's, it's going to all go to the same place. And
6: people already know it. You know, like people have been recycling cans for a very long time. Yeah. People know it. Um, a lot of cans have a deposit on them, so people get money back for mm-hmm. recycling. Yeah. And that also pushes recycling rates up.
4: Uh, so where can you get this stuff? What's that like trying to ramp up production so that I imagine you want to become a national company?
6: Yeah. So we're, we're sold in, I believe 25 States now. Really? Okay. I didn't wow. know yeah, that. So we're, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so we've, a, a, <laughs> we've, we've expanded pretty quickly. Um, you can find us in some of the largest zoos and aquariums in the country. Um, we work for, with um, Monterey Bay aquarium, for example, they mm-hmm. were one of our first um, zoo and aquarium partners. They've, incredibly conservation minded trying to bring in products that go along with their values um Mm -hmm. we work with a lot of restaurants hotels um that that, that kind of place yeah that's great yeah it's it's been i think that especially this past year um has been it 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 really feels like like a a sea change no no pun intended
3: (laughs) (laughs) so your bottling's done up in minnesota
6: uh, we do it in Nebraska now. so Nebraska, we, we okay. changed. We used to do it in Minnesota. Now we do it in Nebraska. So you just have one plant. We just at have the one plant. Um, yeah. So what's,
4: what, what, how many are you turning out? Are you allowed to say?
6: No, I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> <Okay>. But <laughs> I,
4: I a ask. lot. But uh, we are
6: we are we are growing very quickly. Um, we're still we're still a small business for sure. Um, yeah. we, I mean, we compete with with giants. You know, we compete with Coke and Pepsi mm-hmm. and Nestle. Um, they all own. What if know, they
4: decide to co-opt your vision?
6: So so they could, um, but I think that Coke and Pepsi in particular have learned that you can't just push products onto people, um, that things have to grow organically, that there needs to be a demand <laughs> How about there. new
4: Coke? Remember, <laughs> uh, some of us yeah. though, are old enough to remember new Coke. And for, for we we of, try
3: to forget it, though.
4: Yeah, I know. it. Well, back in the 80s, they said, we're changing the formula, okay, get used to it. And then what happened was, and, and some people still think this was a marketing ploy to get people to buy mm-hmm. what they then turned into classic Coke. But they had new Coke, and it w- they were trying to make it taste like Pepsi. But there's a reason you <laughs> buy Pepsi and not Coke,
6: uh,
4: you know, or a reason you buy yeah. Coke and not right. Pepsi. Yeah. You said, you don't want
6: it that sweet. Yeah.
4: And so they, it was a marketing fiasco. It was either genius or a fiasco, depending on how you look at it.
6: Yeah, I think it would also be hard for them to sell both products at once, right? Saying, hey, we're doing mm-hmm. – we're selling aluminum – uh, because it's better for the environment. But, you know, 95% of our business is bottled in plastic. I think right. there would be, you know, a, a little bit of a disconnect there. Um, yeah. And I think consumers would not yeah. particularly appreciate that. So you also do
3: some give back
6: at Open Water. Yes, we do. We're uh, 1% for the planet member. So that means that 1% of every sale uh, goes to a nonprofit. Um, we partner with nonprofits that um, do clean ocean pro- uh, projects. So um, we've worked with Survivor Foundation, We work with the Lonely Whale Foundation. We work with Oceanic Global. And these are nonprofits that really Mm -hmm. have helped tip the scales and have helped keep this plastic problem top of mind for consumers. They do a great job educating people um, and, you know, um, We've worked with
4: Surfrider on oh, a yeah? number of issues, yeah. yeah they're amazing. Pipe, pipe pipelines across Lake Michigan yeah. and that sort of thing, yeah. They're the Enbridge Five Line going across the Straits of Mackinac is a is a terrible problem and it's uh, ongoing. And now they're changing administrations in Michigan, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, we we like uh, the Surfrider. Yeah, they're
6: day. they're they're incredible. We work with the local chapter here and do okay. some yes. events with them yeah. as
4: well. Uh, so. What's next? What's the latest innovation? Or are you just – now the idea is to just get out there and sell?
6: Yeah, the idea right now is just to get out there and sell and keep growing, um, keep growing our base, keep growing uh, the number of places that we're selling, um, make it more widely available so that people who want to buy it can actually Mm -hmm.
4: purchase it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you were talking about hotels and high-end Places. This is very high end. This is very classy looking. And this, Thank it, you. It, it occurs to me that this, that's the kind of thing that these places would want. Hey, you folks in the hotels, look at, yeah, <laughs> Peggy's holding up the, uh, it's a little glary, but uh, uh, the aluminum can there. It looks great.
3: This is the sparkling
6: water, too. Yeah, yes. that's a sparkling. Yeah, we have the still as well, and then the cans.
4: You know this is this is going uh, right into my bag, <laughs> and I'm going to drag this around with me. I don't even know, I don't even know if I want to open it for a while, but I but I will, and then I'm going to reuse it over and over and over again. So, folks, if you want to stop your plastic obsession, I have to admit I it makes me nuts uh, when I go to a big box store. Okay, Costco. <laughs> and people buy 80 bottles of water, and they're slamming these crates of water into their carts. And I'm thinking,
6: are you nuts? It's What's crazy. wrong with you? It's crazy. I think, I think there's a big disconnect between um, what we buy mm-hmm. and then the consequences of that, um, you know, the consequences of our purchases in the planet. Yeah. We all think, like, oh, it's so easy to throw things away, you know, but there's not really an away um, things always mm-hmm. end up. Slower. Right. And yeah.
4: that's something that we've been saying now for years on this show. There's no such thing as a way. Right. And and the plastic is killing us. And by the way, I found those articles They're They're linked on my blog. You can go to MikeNovak.net, You can find out about open water and you can click on the links and see the argument for keeping plastics. You morons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there are, actually, there are some. There are some. Actually, I will say, because the, for for certain. Parts of the population. Um, it's very important to keep some plastics. We just have glutted ourselves. We've gone too far. Yeah. We need to ramp back. And one of the ways you do it with open water. The website is uh drinkopenwater.com. Drinkopenwater.com. That link is also on my website. Nicole Ducey, thank you so thank much you for Thank you so much for, for having
6: me. Thank you, Peggy. Thank you, Mike.
4: And poinsettias are next. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Openlands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connection to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse the collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. Tree-stories.org. If
5: you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better.
4: This is Mike Novak. The song says it's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you're homeless. And I'm Bill Turk. It's hard to know what to do, but you can design a care kit for people
8: in need, something that will do some good in the short run.
3: And I'm Peggy Malecki. The number one item people need is good socks, high quality wool or thermal. Hats, gloves and scarves are also important, along with hygiene products like deodorant, body wash, toothbrushes and toothpaste, band-aids, lip balm, wet wipes, even nail clippers.
4: Food products can include high-protein snacks, easy-to-open tuna, crackers and peanut butter, applesauce, granola bar, or fruit rolls. And I put everything in a one-gallon Ziploc bag.
8: And if you can, make a connection, offer a smile, or even your first name.
3: And don't forget to include some feminine products, too.
4: You're not changing the world.
3: Just making
4: one person's world. A little better for a little while. Uh, we've got the mic here. <laughs> Sorry, I tried to play music. And it doesn't wanna play. And I don't know why. What if I put it back in? Hold on. Two seconds here. Ever talk amongst yourselves, folks.
3: It's a silent carol. All right, let's try one more time.
4: There we go. There I don't know go. why I did I hit the button. Let's try this. That would have been a really nice, classy intro, but no, Mike can't get the button right. All right. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, We said we're going to talk poinsettias, and uh, let's do that. Let's go right to the phone, bring in William B. McLaughlin, sometimes known as Bill, the curator of plants at the U.S. Botanic Garden in Washington, D.C. May I call you Bill?
8: Yes, please do, Mike.
4: Okay, Bill, thank you so much. For being on the show, I got to tell you, there's a little story behind this. Um, I called Bill a couple of weeks ago um, and picked up the phone and found a number. And- <laughs> at uh, the U.S. Botanic Garden and called, and he said, oh, uh, yeah, um, I'm in the greenhouse. You better talk to our PR people. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, because I always, I always bypass the PR people, and it always gets me in trouble, Bill. Um, uh, but fortunately, they got me back. Me too. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad to hear somebody else is having the, the, the same issues that I have. You are in the U.S. Botanic Garden. What do you, what do you chiefly do as the curator of plants at the Botanic Garden in D.C.?
8: Well, I mean, in a nutshell, I always say I, I oversee all of the plant content at the garden. So we have, you know, tremendous collections of plants. Everyone thinks of our conservatory first and foremost, and that's going to have everything from tropical medicinal plants to plants of the Jurassic era. Uh, every room has interpretation, and everywhere you go with the botanic garden, you'll, you're going to be amazed at the connection between humans and plants. Uh, we also have a nice collection of uh, native plants outdoors, so uh, I try to keep uh, rain over everything. We can't have every single plant in the world, so we've got to make choices, and, and mm-hmm.
4: that's my job. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a really good point. You don't think about that. It's some. It's it's like Peggy and me here, and we're deciding, who are we going to have on the show? We'd love to cover every issue in the entire world, but that's not going to happen. So you you have to pick and choose. So
3: you're curator too.
4: Yeah, we're, I'm, you're right. I'm yes. the curator of this radio program. There we program. go. New title. Uh, I put it on the resume right away. Uh, so one of the things you do, of course, is set up for the holidays, and the holidays mean holiday plants. And the most famous, the most popular holiday plant of all, aside from a Christmas tree, uh, I would think, is the poinsettia. And the big question is, Bill, how do you pronounce it?
8: Okay, I grew up saying poinsettia, but I say poinsettia now as a professional.
4: Is that what the
3: professionals say?
8: I think so. You can't ignore that I uh, at the
4: end. Sure you can. I think Uh, the
3: Oxford Dictionary says it's poinsettia.
4: I don't believe the Oxford Dictionary for a second. Uh, On the other hand, a few years ago on this program, we decided that you could get rid of the controversy if you just call them ponzetters. So uh, I'm... Uh So um, just
8: use. You, you'll have to spell that for me. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm trying to imagine you at a at a at a uh, horticultural conference saying, uh, "Now I'd like to show you my latest ponzetter." Uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes over. Well, let's 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 bring in our other guest right now, and that's Joe Hygien from Shady Hill Gardens in Elburn, Illinois. Joe, good morning.
0: Good morning. How are y'all doing?
4: Uh, doing great, and of course, I'm good. just I'm just gonna. I want you. Oh, you guys need to meet uh, Bill, Bill McLaughlin. Meet Joe Hygen. Joe, meet Bill. <laughs>
8: hey, Joe.
4: Hey, nice Bill. To uh, nice to meet you. too, as well. Uh, Joe, I've known for a long time, uh, probably close to twenty years now. And there, uh, in fact, one of the things Joe, I almost said was in Batavia and Elburn. I was so used to saying that in the past because you used to have a greenhouse in Batavia, Illinois, as well as Elburn. Uh, and now, that's right. And now they have this Crystal Palace in Elburn, and if you've never been out there, it's stunning. It's spectacular. It's a destination. You need to go out to Elburn. Now, the last time I was there, there was nothing else developed around it. Are you in the middle of a suburb now?
0: Um, I guess it's getting a little bit more like that, but no, we still got we got quite a bit of corn around us on all <laughs> three sides.
4: Okay, that's good. Keep it, keep it, <laughs> keep it that way. Uh, I and, agree. And the reason Joe's here is because what I'm doing is I'm marrying the past and the present here with Bill McLaughlin from the U.S. Botanic Garden and Joe Hygen from Shady Hill. Because at Shady Hill, you guys grow your own poinsettias, poinsettias, however you want to say it. Um, And how many different varieties do you have there?
0: Uh, We have probably, gosh, I don't have an exact number, but I know we have at least 18, maybe 22, something like that.
4: That's pretty good. Now, considering there are, uh, Bill, how many? What, hundreds of of them now?
8: I mean, at any given time, you can probably grow 100 different cultivars of poinsettia or poinsettia. Yeah,
4: easily. (laughs) (laughs) Got them. Thank you, Bill. (laughs) Uh, It just warmed my heart that that you tried that. (laughs) And and as a matter of fact, uh, if you go to my website, MikeNovak.net, I have a link to uh, the trials, the poinsettia trials at North Carolina State University. And uh, it's just stunning. Yeah,
3: something you- like, what is it, autumn leaf? The the orange-yellow one? Oh, uh, autumn leaf, yeah. That's crazy for a poinsettia. There's a lot of
8: exciting new color forms. I, I don't know if, it's Joe, if Joe's trying any of those uh, with the kind of autumnal, bract colors, but they're really a, a, quite a novelty.
0: Yeah, and you know, Uh, The novelty autumnal colors, they've been around for a while. I mean, it started with, I think it was in the late 80s, maybe early 90s, with um, Lemon Drop, which was a yellow Mm -hmm. one, and then there was Orange Spice a few years ago. And people love it, and people love to come and take pictures of it. The one thing, they don't like to exchange cash for it, so that's (laughs) not always
3: the best Uh thing for us. Great to look at, but not in their living room.
4: Well, okay, we, we have to cut to the chase here because Joe and I, as I said, have talked about this for 20 years almost. And uh, the thing he has repeated over and over again to me is that people, they love to look at them and they're going to buy red. That's what they take home. Now, Bill, you don't have that problem as much because you get to display whatever you want, and have people go, ooh, look at that. Oh, that color is so interesting. But Joe is uh, on the front lines, and he knows what they're going to buy. So I imagine – And I would say there's one caveat to that, Mike.
0: People are way more daring with color choices the smaller the size of the poinsettia. So we grow a vast array of colors in – the two or three smaller sizes that we grow. But the larger the poinsettia gets, the more traditional people get in in our experience.
4: (laughs) Bill, uh, what do you find when you're putting your uh, poinsettias on display? What do you like to highlight?
8: Well, I think, like Joe, we grow our own, uh, which is becoming a scarcer thing. But we often have color themes and whatnot. But the way we approach the poinsettia collection is... um, Past, present, and future. So we keep uh, stock plants of older heirloom types that go back to the 1920s, which are really tall and lanky. Um, and we try to grow some of the most modern ones uh, that, that Joe has mentioned. Uh, and indeed, we don't make money on anything. Uh, it's free to enter the botanic garden 365 days a year. So we're we can be daring with uh, presenting new forms. <laughs> uh, so we, but we take the same tact, I think. Mostly we grow big blocks of varieties like Christmas Wish that are a great standard red. Everybody loves them. They're very traditional. Uh, but we throw in some of the newest ones like Envy that are more green. Um, we've tried things like Gold Rush, which is a amber-yellow color. And, yeah, people kind of look at those with puzzlement, but they're interested in them. Uh, but I think probably you know, the, the statistics still hold 80% of people really want to see that traditional red
4: poinsettia. All right. Well, this takes us, you you mentioned the past. Uh, This takes us to the thing that I read about. It was a story that was written a year ago in the uh, Washington Post about some of the work that you're doing at the Botanic Garden. And it made me really curious because you were attempting this, and correct me if I got this wrong, you're attempting to breed poinsettias, ponsettas backwards to what they uh, looked, yeah. looked like uh, 100 years ago. Can you tell me about that effort?
8: Well, it's, it's a, actually a problem-solving thing that I've, I've tried to do. With almost any hybrid crop that we show the public, I really love it if we can show people the wild species that the crop came from so mm-hmm. they can appreciate just how much you know, horticulture and breeding work has have done. Uh, But when it comes to the poinsettia and the wild uh, plant, which is the Latin name is Euphorbia pulcarema, is not really available. You can't find the wild one. Um, No one would think to grow it. It gets like 12 feet tall and loses all of its lower leaves. But for me, it's educational. And for the botanic garden, that means it's important. Uh, We could try to get one through a university collection, but there are stipulations. Uh, You've got to sign an agreement with the government of Mexico. Mm
0: -hmm.
8: And uh, our take on plant donations of any kind is that they have no strings. So I haven't really wanted to do that. But we had some older heirlooms. Uh, I think I used oak leaf, which came out in 1923. Uh, St. Louis red, which came out in 1924. So these are not too far off from the wild types. And I've done crosses with those to try to go backwards to get the most wild looking Points out as I can, and it succeeded. They're tall, they're lanky, and they lose their lower leaves.
4: <laughs> and nobody wants to grow them or take them home, uh, aside from you, right?
8: Right, but yeah, for us, they just provide a, a point of context. So We can put a label on it that says where it's from in the world without a cultivar name on it, a varietal name, uh, and then show them from there uh, the, the breeding efforts that came forward from the, the 20s to the 60s to the 90s, uh, and display the most modern cultivars as well.
4: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Actually, that I love the idea of that, so folks can see right there where poinsettias is setters, whatever. Uh, I, I, I don't know what <laughs> to do anymore. <laughs> I'm so confused. All right. We need to take a short break. It's two minutes, gentlemen. We'll be right back with you. Uh, that's Bill McLaughlin, uh, the curator of plants at the U.S. Botanic Garden, Washington, D.C. Joe Hygen from Shady Hill Gardens in Elburn, Illinois. I'm going to give y- each of you a chance to give out your websites when we return. I also want to talk about euphorbias a little bit. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Now, for something completely different for the season, the Frozen Robins!
2: Oh, holy night! Late December, back in 1 B.C. T'was the night of the nativity. What a baby, what a night!
4: Talented, funny, unique, the Frozen Robins are Chicago's number one caroling group. Exquisite harmonies, madcap improvisation, holiday sketches and characters, even a 10-minute version of It's a Wonderful Life. They are definitely not your mother's carolers. Go to frozenrobins.com or contact me, Mike, at mikenovak.net, because I'm not just a fan of the Frozen Robins, I are one. Yeah.
3: It's a new year, and Chicagoans are still looking for new and better ways to get healthier. This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach our area's growing wellness and sustainability market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 engaged monthly readers. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com.
0: And how the reindeer loved them. And they shouted, I think
5: me, you should've heard him. Rudolph, you're reading no reindeer. You got a history.
4: Ah, uh, Ray Charles knows one thing that red is an important color at Christmas. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Very pleased to have a couple of experts on poinsettias uh, and growing things in general uh, on the phone. Joe Hygen from Shady Hill Gardens in Elburn, Illinois. Joe, what is the website for Shady Hill?
0: Uh, It is ShadyHill.com, so pretty basic.
4: (laughs) You guys grabbed it there because there's a lot of Shady Hills in the country, but you got the ShadyHills.com. So
0: yeah, we get emails. There's a Shady Hill Raceway and a Shady Hill Elementary School, just in case you're wondering. <laughs>
4: uh, and uh, Bill McLaughlin is from the U.S. Botanic Garden in Washington, D.C. And what's the uh, the website for that, uh, Bill?
8: Ours is pretty easy too. It's uh, usbg.gov. Um, but if you Google search usbg, you'll you'll come up with us and U.S. Bartenders Guild. So that's a great website. <laughs>
3: yeah. I think I caught that one yesterday,
4: yes. USBG. We're the .gov. You're the .gov, yeah. The bartenders (laughs) are not the .gov. Uh, You can also, I've uh, typed in U.S. Botanic Garden into a search engine and it gets you there pretty quickly. So uh, we mentioned, you mentioned, Bill, that uh, uh, this is a euphorbia we're talking about. And I don't think, I I think the average uh, customer or viewer at the, the greenhouse uh, or botanic garden has no idea that this plant might be related to something that looks like a cactus or one of those pencil plants. I mean, euphorbias yeah. are one of the most interesting genuses uh, in the world and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they continued to carve away different plants from that mm-hmm. genus, but what is it, uh, Bill, that makes Euphorbia so interesting?
8: Well, it is, like you point out, it's one of the biggest and most diverse looking uh, uh, plant genera. Uh, they're usually marked by a specific type of flower and a form called a sciathia. Um, so they have a unique morphology, uh, and most of the things that we think of as flowers on the euphorbias are actually bracts. They're actually modified Mm -hmm. leaves. And so the the holiday poinsettia that you look at, those colorful bracts are actually just modified leaves. And if you look at the center where all those bracts come from, you should see little yellow, green, and red uh, uh, tiny flowers. Those are the true flowers, and you'll see nectar cups if you look very closely. Um, They do have a unique form, and that's common to a lot of the euphorbias but you're absolutely right you can go into our world desert house at the botanic garden and see uh, african euphorbias that look you know, just like a, a large cactus they often bleed a uh, milky latex sap right and mm-hmm. in the case of some of those desert forms they are actually a little bit dangerous that that sap can be kind of caustic the poinsettia got a bad rap uh, because of a a false story that went out in the early 1900s of a boy eating a poinsettia and uh, dying. That is completely a fabrication. They are not poisonous.
4: And they're not particularly poisonous to your pets either. I mean, this is just, all of this is just the bad bad press um, uh, that, as you say, uh, it's that you get one story. Urban legends. And then it just lives on forever and ever. Um, so Yeah,
8: you would not want to eat it if you ate it. That milky latex sap would certainly taste disgusting. <laughs> so,
4: but it's not likely to kill you. So, uh, and, and like no. with, with any animal, you don't want your animal eating too much of anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but you don't have to particularly keep them away from your pets because it's not going to kill them. Uh, so, Joe, uh, this takes us uh, – uh, Bill mentioned the BRACs. In fact, several years ago, I had a contest on my radio show to get people to buy you f- or take a, 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 a poinsettia that they had grown in the past and get it to re-flower, re flower, well, actually, recolor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I called it the bracked off, uh, as in, I'm, I'm really bracked <laughs> off at you. And, uh, uh, and it's, 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 in the past, it used to be really tricky, but you were telling me the other day that it's not as tricky anymore.
0: Um, Well, it's still fairly tricky for people at home, but I was saying to you that, I mean, my dad started growing the poinsettias in 1974. We were kids, and a lot of them you would have to light or shade in order to get them to um, bloom at the correct time. And like Bill said, the breeding and hybridization has come so far that a lot of them now you don't have to. Now there are early varieties and there are late varieties but um, yeah, they used to cover the benches with big, hot, dusty black cloths. We'd go after school and start pulling the black cloth, and then somebody else would pull it off in the morning. But yeah, then I'd say 10 to 12 years ago, there was a variety called Freedom, and it was, uh, in the industry, it was known as Freedom because it was freedom from lighting, and it just automatically bloomed earlier. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, there are now ones that'll bloom earlier and bloom later, but no matter what their bloom time is it takes the same thing and it's basically 5 weeks starting around September 20th so and then go until the end of October where they need about equal day uh equal amounts of daylight and darkness so if you live in a house and you have lights on at night that that's kind of the problem so if you had a room where N- nobody. Most of us planted, the plants. stayed yes. in there, and it got no artificial light. But even like at, at our old greenhouse, where we got a little bit of, we were on a side street in a neighborhood. The the poinsettias at the glass that just got traffic lights going by the you know cars right. driving by mm-hmm. they would bloom later. They're they're super finicky. So if you miss a night or two, you're not going to get very good.
4: Yeah, good if good you're doing it yourself, yeah. but as Bill pointed out, everybody's got lights at home, and that can be tricky. So you can't you got to right. put it in a room, and then you just got to leave it alone. Peggy, you had a question.
3: Yeah, if I'm looking to buy a poinsettia, what type of a plant am I going to be looking for what uh, What should the leaves be looking like? What should the the uh, bracts be looking like?
0: Well, I think all the leaves should be looking um, not curled, because that's one of the first things. Because around here in Illinois they are a plant that is native to Mexico they don't like getting chilled mm-hmm. so if they're being shipped places or you know going to a distribution center or whatever they can get chilled and by chilled I mean below you know below 50 degrees and almost always first sign of that is the leaves will start to curl. They usually curl downwards, but sometimes varieties can curl upwards. So you want to look for a leaf that's not curled and not discolored. So the bracts are going to be the holiday color, but the green leaves should in in fact be green, not (laughs) yellow or uh, brown. And then as Bill was talking about the sciathia or the little berries in the center, those are the actual flower. Mm -hmm. You want to look for ones that are just Starting to open or not open yet, and by open I mean they'll you'll see the little fuzzy pollen on them. Uh, okay, um, uh, the uh, breeding I... has has come forward so that the cyathia or the berries in the center are not anywhere near as noticeable. They're way smaller. They used to be large, but then when they were done, you'd kind of have a big hole. Now many of the modern varieties have very small or insignificant. Or at all, okay, so that
4: I, I want to really uh, get Bill in here, Joe, I want to get Bill in here to wrap up. You'll have the final word, Bill. What's next uh, in your development of, uh, of uh, poinsettias?
8: Well, we're really excited. I mentioned the, the, the retrograde hybrids we're doing to get back to the species, but we're very excited about new varieties that come about as a result of crossing another euphorbia species, Euphorbia cornastra, the dogwood poinsettia, Mm -hmm. with the regular poinsettia. These have resulted in hybrids uh, called the Love You Pink and the Pinsettia series. They're smaller, very brightly colored, pure, pure, blue almost blinding white. They're great. So we love showing the the public those
5: and the species. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be... Perambulating vegetables we are being stalked by stalks of asparagus that is incorrect mr Warp. mr data be more specific asparagus officinalis or killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author mike novak mike novak i'm familiar with his work of course attack of the killer asparagus is required reading at starfleet academy tell me more mr data he has been variously compared to mark twain Dave Barry and Guinok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm, it appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener taking all our self delusions, mishaps, and confusions and playing
1: them for big laughs.
5: That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate.
1: Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup song of humor. Or is that a dash? Call us with your questions and comments at 877-711-5611. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak.
4: All I need is good food to eat. And make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good foodie, all I need is good up all I need thing. is good tools to make me music for this long Welcome back to the Mike Novak the Show right with, with Peggy Malecki, and uh, let's throw this in.
5: Once again, it's our privilege and pleasure to present for the 16th year of the Christmas program.
4: Here we are. <laughs> oh. But this is not – by the way –
3: It just ended.
4: Yeah. It just goes uh, – that's, that's it. That's all we need is the Mr. Announcer. I love the the idea that they had the – in the old days, they would have the orchestra right there. Uh, we need the orchestra right here. All this stuff on recorded. Uh, you know.
3: Can, can, can you make that happen, Randall? Get of the course. orchestra in?
4: Oh, yeah. Bring in there the orchestra. Oh, well, they got the drum set. Look at the drum sets right behind you. That's scary, actually, having that there. Um, and I was going to say something, and, of course, it went right out of my head. So there you go. Welcome back to the show. Uh, some information we wanted to get out uh, regarding the first hour uh, because uh, we didn't have time, and one of the things is, again, I'm going to repeat, that you can go to Shady Hill Gardens in Elburn, go to their website, ShadyHill.com, but I said to Joe when we got off out of the segment, um, and, gosh, there was so much more information I wanted to get out. It's just the way it goes, folks. It's hard breaks mm-hmm. and one hour uh, to do this. Uh, well, two hours here when we have other things. Uh, but he said, tell folks just to come on by. And you should. You should go out to Elburn um, and and see Shady Hill. And they've got all these points, as, as he said, probably 18 different varieties. Um, and they're sitting out there waiting for you. Yes, they have red. You can you can <laughs> go there as well. And uh, uh, Bill McLaughlin uh, is at the uh, U.S. Botanic Garden in Washington, D.C. I don't know how many of you are going to be going to D.C., but you can go to usbg, B is in boy, G is in government, dot government, dot gov. <laughs> dot gov. Dot gov. So usbg.gov if you want to find out more about the U.S. Botanic Garden. And, of course, you're going to see how he's reverted poinsettias from what they look like now to what they used to look like. That's just pretty cool, you know, because everything is moving forward Usually the plant selection is like we need the latest rose. We need the new color of Mm coneflower. Let me say right now, I don't know why we need an orange coneflower, but some people want it. Oh, well. Uh, So the other thing was we had a request from Kathleen who wanted to know where to get open water. The aluminum cans we talked about Mm -hmm. with Nicole uh, in the first hour. Nicole Doucet. Doucet.
3: And she said in the Chicago area, you can get it at Mariano's, if you, which is a grocery store. Um, I think
4: people know that,
3: well, don't you? Not necessarily. It's not
4: a restaurant. Don't no, go, it's don't, not a restaurant. Don't, don't go to Mariano's, the restaurant. Go to if, Mariano's. If you're restaurant.
3: visiting the Field Museum.
4: Come on, Mariano's, they're, they're, as, they're as big as, as, as Walmart and all those other places. But if you're right? not in
3: the Chicago area, you might not be familiar with it.
4: Are they not uh, in other areas? No. Are they just here?
3: No, they're 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 local here. They're owned by another company that oh, has yeah. stores with other brands elsewhere. Uh, if you're at the Field Museum,
4: right. you can they, get it
3: at the. Uh, that's Captain. the
4: only water they sell at the yeah. Field Museum.
3: Mm-hmm. And she said Sweet Green Restaurant, which is, uh, I guess, a chain of restaurants. I'm not familiar with. Oh them. really?
4: I'm not familiar with them either. We'll have to uh, to check that out. So there you go. That you can get uh, open water at uh, at those places. Uh, on what? Day was it Thursday? Thursday. Wow, it seems like a million years ago, doesn't it? I know because you know Friday I was caroling and Saturday I was writing stuff, and now here we are, and I'm off caroling again. And then,
3: uh, make it stop, make it Which, stop. if you're watching Facebook, that explains why you are dressed all right. all the right, way wait, you're dressed.
4: Wait, the hat. The hat? It's right oh, there. All right,
3: hold on. But you didn't wear that Thursday.
4: No, no, <laughs> no, not to the meeting. It was in a public meeting uh, at. Park Community Church in Chicago about the Lincoln Yards, a proposed Lincoln Yards development. Uh, and there were about 300 people in the room. And Sterling Bay, the developer, was there. And uh, Alderman Brian Hopkins from the Second Ward was there. And there It was, was
3: his meeting. He sponsored yeah, it. Yes. He was the
4: one. Um, and uh, there was a lot of back-and-forth uh, there were jeers, there were cheers, there were boos, there was applause. Um, yeah, emotionally charged meeting. Yeah, okay. If you want my view, of what came out of that meeting, that that project is going through probably unscathed. It's probably going to go through the way uh, Sterling Bay wants it. Uh, there's going to be little parkland. It's not going to turn into a model for the rest of the planet on how to develop an urban area it's going to be same old same old crowd a lot of stuff in there the i was amazed that uh, the uh, the folks who were presenting it kept saying and look at the buildings we've designed them so there's all this airy room to Mm -hmm. walk between i'm like that's not a park that is and, and every time they said look at the green areas they were all paved over and there was a tree here and some lawn here and a little strip now they did have some other oak- they had a lot of
3: areas with permeable pavers
4: permeable but they they were pavers yes you know that's not a, that's not parkland that's not a preserve so i don't think it's good news and i've talked to other people who say yep the tip's going to get passed yep this is going to sail through city council yep it's a done deal well we'll see what happens we'll see if folks uh Uh, have any interest in, you know, again, I'm going to say it, mayoral candidates need to step up and view, give their views about this. Okay, we're talking CAFOs next. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. From Boat,
3: to rooftop.
4: <laughs> the small boat fishermen of Sitka Salmon Shares cordially invite you to give
3: the gift of their wild Alaskan harvest this holiday season. Their limited edition holiday box includes the highest quality sustainable seafood and a selection of small batch items curated specially for you.
4: On sale November 23rd to December 16th at SitkaSalmonShares.com. Delivered between December 19th and 21st.
3: Happy holidays from their fishing families to yours.
4: This is Mike Novak. One of the best salads I ever had was courtesy of a friend who grew it in her living room using Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights. 50,000-plus-hour minimum lifespan, five-year warranty, USA-made. What's not to like? Whether you're a beginner or a gardening whiz, these lights are the face of 21st century growing technology. Go to happyleafled.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code Mike. Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, moving the garden to your living room.
5: This is your talk.
3: Hey, this place is really something else, huh? Only on
5: 1590 WCGO. Evanston, Chicago.
2: Dashing through
1: the snow In a one-horse open sleigh O'er the field we go
4: Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. A couple of months ago, um, I got uh, a notice from a friend of the show, Karen Hudson, who is uh, with the Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water, and she's also with Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. Um, So that's I-C-C-A-W and S-R-A-P. Sometimes you will see the, uh, what do they call it? Yeah, the, uh, Acron- acronym. That was it. I was thinking anagram. No, it's not anagram. It's acronym. acronym yeah. There you go. Karen. Hey, Karen, it's good to have you on the line. You're on the Skype here.
10: Thank you, Mike.
4: Uh, pleasure to have you on the show. And, um, Karen wrote to me and she said, uh, I think you should know about something that's going on in Adams County. Now, if you don't know where Adams County is, it's on basically Southwest side of the state, uh, some of you might know the town of Quincy, which is on the Mississippi River. That's the county seat in Adams County. Um, and uh, Karen told me that there was an effort uh, uh, in Adams County to cite a con- concentrated animal feeding operation. Um, and this one in particular was interesting and a little problematic, I guess, is one way of putting it. Uh, because it was going uh, set to be sited next to uh, uh, a uh, a farm called Sunset Lake Organics. Um, and um, are you still with me there, uh, Karen? I'm here. Okay, good. I'm just hearing little bleeps and blops there. Um, and so do you want to set that – would you set that up for me, Karen, uh, how you guys found out about this and, and what uh, the situation – I know there was a hearing on the 20th of September about this. And how did this uh, uh, hearing go?
10: Um, Yes, the hearing was on the 20th, Mike. um, And it was quite well attended by both sides of the issue. Many of the citizens in that area showed up to do testimony. I was there for the testimony as well. And uh, what we find is that there's eight citing criteria that a a facility that size, which is about 2,500 animals, has to meet anything over 2,500 pigs has to meet eight criteria. And we looked at those criteria as a group, and we found that many of those had not been met, although they claimed that they had. And, and the guests that are going to uh, come after me today are going to give a little bit more detail about that. But what citizens have to do in Illinois is actually FOIA for this information and do their own detective work before these meetings so that we can, we can show what criteria are not being met.
4: All right. Well, let's let's go to those people. Uh, I also have Crystal Clare. Uh, she's on the phone. She's a co-owner of Sunset Lake Organics. Uh, Crystal, good morning. Hi, Mike. Hi. It's, it's good to have you here. And uh, your son, Thank you. uh, Thad King, is uh, uh, a member of Save Adams County, which is uh, a group out in Adams County that uh, is fighting this CAFO. Uh, Thad, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having us on. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, Crystal, tell me about your farm.
11: Well, we're located about 17 miles east of the Mississippi River. We are certified organic with the USDA. We have um, 750 acres, either all certified or in transition. Uh, We grow corn, soybeans, oats, wheat, rye, and I do have some vegetables. Plus, we have a very large humus composting operation.
4: Now, um, I would imagine a lot of organic farms don't have the humus composting operation on site.
11: That is true. We are uh, one of probably five humus composting operations in the state of Illinois. Um, It is something that we have gone to school to learn how to do. Um, and we use it very, very heavily on all of our organic ground. I I'm not sure, yeah. you know, go ahead.
4: No, I was just going to say, I imagine you would. Uh, but you, uh, you, do you also sell it?
11: Um, at this point, um, we can't get enough help to make enough to sell. We can only make enough to put on our ground. But our hope is, um, you know, if we can find someone who really wants to work, um, we would be able to sell it, yes.
4: And what are the organic crops that you grow there?
11: We grow corn and soybeans, uh, wheat, oats, rye, hay. Uh, The compost is not certified organic yet because our hay has to be certified, and this is the first year that we actually will have certified organic hay. Um, There's a a process in there and probably something for another show, but um, there, there are stringent rules that we have to follow. Follow to um, get everything certified organic, and that's why this CAFO create um, creates such a problem because it could contaminate the water that we have in our lake, and therefore it would contaminate our composting operation, which would in turn contaminate our organic fields.
4: Well, and uh, as folks might know, uh, the USDA is very strict about uh, those regulations for organics uh, for certified or, right. for certified organic operations and and what you've and and you mentioned the lake it is called Sunset mm-hmm. Lake but that's a huge part of your farm isn't it
11: It is a very huge part We have our operation set up where we can draw water out of it and we can water I have an in-ground winter greenhouse where I've got lettuce tomatoes, um, spinach, kale, radishes, uh, peas, beans growing there right now, and it is 36 degrees on my car phone. And uh, we use the lake to water that. Plus, we probably use uh, anywhere between 10 and 15,000 gallons a day from that lake when we are uh, making our compost. So anything happens to that lake, and um, it's a big hit not only to us, but we have six landlords that we farm for. Their land is also organic, and um, it's going to not just affect us; it's going to affect uh, six other households.
4: All right, um, I'm going to add one more thing here, and this is not a secret. It's it's been in news reports. Uh, you're you're battling cancer right now, aren't you? That is correct. Yes. Um, how? And without, you don't need to go into details of the, the medical stuff, but how will the siting of a uh, concentrated animal feeding operation affect your battle with cancer?
11: Well, I'm outside most every day unless snowing or raining for 8 to 10 to 12 hours. And um, my medical staff has told me that um, if this CAFO goes up, that I can no longer work outside. The CAFOs have vents in them, and those vents flow through the building, and they flow out all of the stagnant, um, toxic air out into the atmosphere. We we are approximately 2,000 feet from where this CAFO will be. And then if you can smell the smell, and CAFOs do smell. I don't care what anybody says. But they smell. That smell carries ammonia, it carries hydrogen sulfide, so if this place is allowed, what it is doing is, is if, if I want to continue to live, I can't go outside because they are going to be taking my ability away to work um, just because of the atmosphere that they are going to be creating in our neighborhood.
4: All right, I'd like to bring in Thad King. Thad, um, I've seen, uh, and, and uh, again, uh, full disclosure, you are Crystal's son. Uh, do you work on the farm yourself?
2: Um, not typically. I I have another job, but I go back there during the summers um, and help them with several things, but not officially employed by the farm, no.
4: And yet uh, you have testified about the... Uh, the the coming KFO next door the the proposal to put a, a KFO next door uh, and you and you had a very thorough uh, a list of uh, I guess complaints about it and how it might be violating uh, some of the laws including uh, an Illinois law the LMFA. Uh, Livestock Management Facilities Act, which is about a 20-year-old law, and we've talked about that law on this show. Uh, Give us a couple of ways that you think it might be in violation of that
2: act. Um, Sure. One of the um, biggest things when I look at this is there are several points in there when they say that the LMFA needs to protect the local environment. Um, And what it actually says is it needs to minimize the impact on the environment. Um, we created several documents, like you had mentioned. Um, some of them have very graphic images that show how the neighboring farm fields where um, this proposed capo would be applying its manure. And just to give everybody a, a kind of an understanding, they're going to have 5,000 hogs in here at a given time, and that's going to create 2.2 million pounds of manure every year. And they have to put that somewhere. So that's going to be spread on the fields that directly surround um, my mom's farm. And that manure has to go somewhere. So they have subsurface tiling, which is kind of like the plumbing in your house. It just takes everything out of the field, all of the excess water. That's going to be drained into, potentially drained into my mom's um, lake that she had mentioned. There are other farmer's fields there, and there are Mm -hmm. even houses around there or the pipes from this field will drain that excess um, water and anything that's in it, including the manure and any other contaminants, directly into people's backyards. There is a creek that is say, like 1,400 feet. Just to give everybody a, an example, that's about one lap around a track. If you go out and run a track, that's how far this capo would be from my mom's house, from their farm. From these local creeks that lead directly into the Mississippi River. So I think that's one of the, the biggest things looking at this thing. It's it's not minimizing it. It's definitely increasing the potential for environmental hazards. You know, uh, um, that, there are several others. But,
4: oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But, continue.
2: Well, I just say out of all of the eight criteria that Karen mentioned, I mean, we've submitted documentation on how we feel that at least six of them are currently not met and we believe there's two or three of them, but there's no way that they should be able to meet. I mean, they might submit documentation saying, um, so like one of them is on odors. There's a a statement in the LMFA that they need to use either current technology to be um, technologically advanced for the given time. And their proposal is we're going to use a pit that basically the pit will store this 2.2 million gallons it will be directly under the hogs so the hogs will poop it'll fall through slats and it's stored there they're saying that's going to eliminate odors and the other piece that they're going to use for eliminating odors is tree buffers and that's that's their plan for protecting from odors and the LMFA basically says you know we need to use current technology and they're saying they're using trees that you know in the coming in the winter they're all the leaves are gone and there's gonna be no control of that odor. Well and Karen um, and that's one of
4: the I, mean, I was just okay. gonna say Karen sent me some photos where some of those trees have already been cut down. Uh Karen, uh when did you take those photos?
10: I didn't take these. The uh the the other guests on the show took those but um at the at the hearing at the meeting it was stated that that, that would be one of the buffers for odor control. So our question is why are these trees coming down? And that's, that's a, a concern. If, if there's promises made like this, and we're already seeing these broken, what do we have to look forward to
4: Mike? Well, let's go back to that meeting uh, the 20th. Uh, and there were, there were, there were some testimony there and I've seen some of the videos of it. Thank you. Thad uh, showed me some of those. Um, and at that meeting, basically, the determination was to go forward, right? Uh, Karen?
10: Are you asking? Yes, I'm here, Mike. Yeah. Um, they're asking for more information now.
4: Right. And that, that was going to be my point. That's that there was a determination made. And now it looks as though uh, Illinois Department of Agriculture wants more information. Is that correct, Karen?
10: That's the channel they go through when there's questions about any one of those eight citing criteria, And um, in the past, we've seen them ask for more information for other facilities around the state, and they end up eventually permitting those. Um, Though we have a window of opportunity now where we are discovering more and more information that is incorrect on the maps that they presented. We think there is a sensitive area called karst uh, or fractured limestone that that allows uh, the waste to actually drain faster into the groundwater. Um, So we're challenging Quite a bit of uh, errors on this application, as we have in other counties such as Fulton County. I know Mike, you've covered the groups in Fulton County. Those folks found ap- errors in their applications, eight to eight to ten to twelve errors on two different applications. So, as I said again, uh, we're we're discovering more and more of these errors and discrepancies, and presenting those to the public as well as to the county board and the Department of Agriculture.
4: And this is st- uh, standard uh, procedure. This happens pretty much every time. A concentrated animal feeding operation uh, shows up, and or somebody says we want to construct one here, then you have to go and have hearings. Uh, from what I understand of the LMFA, uh, you can you can testify all you want. A county board can even say we we would rather not have this in our county, and yet the Department of Ag has the final say. Is that am I right about that, Karen?
10: Yes, you're right. Uh, So they act as a promoter and a regulator at the same time. We feel that the fox guarding the hen house, it's a direct conflict of interest. And we're asking for changes in the Illinois law regarding that, but as of now, uh, if a low level nuclear waste or garbage facility wants to locate in my community, my county board would have a say in that. We could lobby our county board members who listen to the local voice, and they would be able to regulate and, and, and halt one of those or ask more questions about that and stop one if they see see fit to do that. But with the livestock facilities, uh, the county boards have had their local control removed. And so Uh, uh, no control
4: at all. Right. All right. We're taking a short break. Two minutes. We'll be back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki.
7: Did you know that enough plastic is thrown away each year to circle the earth four times? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Plastic doesn't biodegrade, at least not in 500 to 1,000 years. Between the islands of plastic, the size of countries floating around in the oceans, and the negative effects of it on wildlife and humans, we need to find ways to reduce and reuse plastic. So say no to plastic bags. Remember to bring your reusable ones when you shop. Recycle whatever plastic you can. Too much recyclable plastic ends up in the landfills. Extend the life of plastic items by finding clever ways to upcycle and reuse them. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com
4: whether it's march july september or december if you're a gardener any time of year is perfect for a subscription to chicagoland gardening magazine it's the garden magazine for our region and one of the best gardening magazines in the country every issue features spectacular photos articles by noted horticultural authorities nursery owners state extension agents master gardeners and more There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, regional reports, what to do in the garden, and even my column on the inside back page of every issue. I make up stuff and they pay me for it. Go figure. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines on newsstands everywhere. But go to ChicagolandGardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to StateByStateGardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. This is your talk. We're going to be
9: here for a long time.
5: Only on 1590 WCGO. Evanston, Chicago.
7: Hey, Santa Claus. Hey, Santa Claus. Claus, Hey,
6: Hey, Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Hey, Santa Claus. Hey, Santa
0: Claus. Claus.
4: Claus. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're having a conversation about a proposed uh, concentrated animal feeding operation in Adams County in Illinois. We've got Karen Hudson uh, on the Skype. Uh, she's with Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water and Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. We have Crystal Claire on the phone, who is a farmer co-owner of Sunset Lake Organics in Adams County, which would be right next to the KFO and Thad King, Crystal's son, he's a member of Save Adams County. Um, I want to get back to you, Crystal, about the sighting of this KFO. and I should note that Thad sent me some photos, um, and they're very interesting. In fact, I used one for my post on uh, the Mike Novak show. If you go to mikenovak.net and look at this week's show, it's the, the main photo there, and it's a kind of a map of the area and if you look there are little blocks of land not little but large blocks of land they say organic 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 and then smack in the middle of them says proposed hog confinement um crystal why was that site chosen for the CAFO do you have any idea
11: person doing this had a CAFO or had three CAFO buildings just north of us um I'm not going to get into the reasons of why he sold it or was forced to sell it, but the ground that surrounds our land is owned by um, a family group from Springfield, Illinois, which is about I don't know 90 miles from us. They are absentee landlords. Uh, the person proposing this CAFO is somehow associated with them, and he intends to spread the majority of his hog manure. Um on this ground that's owned by the uh family from Springfield, the pinnacle group they're called mm-hmm. um i I don't really know one hundred percent for sure I don't know what he's getting out of it um that's not really my business. My business is just to protect what my husband has created. He's owned this farm for forty five years, and we've worked hard to make it what it is
4: yeah and and it and it's and obviously the people putting this in know that there's this organic land around there. And as Thad mentioned earlier, there uh, are drainage tiles in the fields. And the fear is that it will lead uh, the the effluent from the CAFO into your lake or onto your land and contaminate your land. Uh, Thad, you also mis- mentioned that, and, and Crystal mentioned, I think, earlier that the, they're only 17 miles from the Mississippi River. Uh, could it affect the river as well, Thad?
2: Um, we have talked to other um, experts and do believe that it could reach that far. Um, during recent floods where the Mississippi River has flooded, water from the river has backed up all the way into this creek. So anything that's in this area technically can reach out into, you know, neighbors' backyards and flow all the way down to the river. It would go from Thurman Creek into Bear Creek and then directly into the Mississippi River.
4: Okay. And the other thing, one of the other considerations uh, in this, and Karen, maybe you can address this, is uh, we talked earlier about 2,500 head here in this CAFO, but after a while they're allowed to increase that number. Is that right?
10: Yes, my, um, that's what we call it a loophole in the Illinois law, where uh, once a facility is cited, no matter where it's cited in the state of Illinois, they can expand up to 50% of their fixed capital cost every two years. So once something grandfathers itself in, um, everything else is secondary to that, and it can grow to whatever size it wants. So we're very concerned about that as well. Uh, That's one of the biggest loopholes in the Illinois law that we're trying to close at the moment.
4: Uh, Something you guys talked about earlier has always been an issue with me, and that's the smell. Uh, What you hear generally from the operators of these uh, concentrated animal feeding operations is that, hey, it's farm smell. People are used to farm smell. But the people who complain about the farm smell are farmers, Mm -hmm. That's what I've never understood about this. How can you say it's just farm smell when the farmers themselves are the ones saying, no, this is not normal farm smell. This is something entirely different. What do you say about that, Crystal?
11: Well, our farm certainly doesn't smell like that. Our farm smells like hay. Our farm smells like alfalfa. You can smell pollen in the winter. You can smell, I plant several pollinator plants, uh, flowers around my you know, garden to attract bees, you can smell those flowers. You certainly, until this person, you know, attempted this, that smell was never in our neighborhood unless the wind was out of the right direction from his other CAFO three miles from it. Then you could smell the stench. But the the neighborhood that we are in, it's it's basically all farmland, and none of it smells like hog manure.
4: This is something you already went through, Karen, isn't it?
11: Yes, it is, Mike. And I think one
10: of the biggest concerns we have here is that uh, there's proof that these strong odors can inhibit the secretory immune system in a human. So the emissions are a cocktail of all these different chemicals plus pathogens. But the fact that we have got to have a double whammy here where we have a, a, life, a, a farm operator who's struggling to maintain good health in the light of what's happening Working on her farm, and also as the threat of something happening to the farm that's very productive and adds so much to the local economy.
4: Okay, I think we've got one minute left with you, Karen. And I th- it's a technical issue we're having here. Uh, Randall, are we going to be able to get her back if if we drop off the line here? Okay, I'm not sure what's going on. It sounds like <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna time out here. Um, Which, if you, do you need to cut her off right now, Randall? Okay. He's going to let you go, and then he's going to get you back, Karen, okay? Okay. All right, because we need to talk to Karen also about um, an uh, event coming up uh, via the Illinois Humanities Council uh, in uh, Chicago on December 6th. We will make sure we announce that, even if Mm -hmm. we can't get Karen back. But I still have Crystal, Claire, and Thad King on the phone. So, Given that there's been a halt in the activity uh, of this CAFO moving forward, what, uh, Thad, would you say is your next step? Or Crystal, whoever wants to, uh, to, to speak on this.
2: So right now, um, like Karen mentioned, they have asked for additional information. Um, the owner and um, his engineer have submitted back documentation um, basically answering their questions and we have sent additional information back in. Um, So right now, it's kind of just in a wait-and-see mode. Um, One of Another thing that we've talked with Karen about is the only way for us really to get information from the Illinois Department of Ag is to do a Freedom of Information Act. We send emails, we make telephone calls to the director, to different people within the Illinois Department of Ag, and they won't return our calls. They won't talk to us. Um, and I think that goes against what an agency should do. So it's, it's really, um, disconcerting to us that even though we send emails, you know, make phone calls, um, the only time that I have actually gotten an email back from them is after I've contacted my state senator and asked them to reach out. Then they'll reply back and say, here's the status, but that's about the extent of it. It's here's the status. They won't answer any other questions or anything
4: that we have. That's amazing. I mean, that doesn't sound like uh, the the agency is representing all of the people in Illinois. They, sh- they should be representing hmm. all of the farmers, not just large farmers. Um, and uh,
2: so... And that, Go ahead. And so that goes both for the state agency and then also the Illinois Farm Bureau. I mean, it, it's, you know, one farm is being selected over another. And, you know, this is a, a well um liked farm in the area i mean yes that may sound biased because it's you know i have a correlation to it but um you know they farm a thousand acres but yet there's zero support from the illinois farm bureau for them
4: well that's not surprising by the way we have karen i believe you're back can you hear me mike yes i can great we can see you too thanks randall for getting that cleared up um, that's that's an interesting point. Uh, you might have heard Thad saying that he can't get uh, a response from um, as Department of Agriculture and uh, Farm Bureau is not on his side, basically, and Crystal's side. And, and you know, this is for anybody who follows these things. This is not partic- particular news, okay. Um, Farm Bureau seems to support the larger farms and move the CAFOs forward. And then if, if there's a a blowback against it, they're nowhere to be found. I, I don't think I'm talking out of school when I say that. Am I, Karen?
10: No, you're not, Mike. Uh, Their goal is to keep the LMFA, the Livestock Management Facilities Act as it is. They see that no changes are needed. And when we, uh, when we bring legislation up or problems, uh, so many elected officials think Farm Bureau is the voice of agriculture. We're actually, they're not representing all of agriculture.
4: Yeah. Uh, so that's one of the things that I want to get out, a message. I, uh, I received an email recently from some folks who are keeping an eye on who J.B. Pritzker is putting, into, uh, putting on his team in the ag department. Uh, and my advice would, to them would be: Hey, you should be looking at the LMFA. This is a law that's flawed. It needs to be. And, and I and I put on my my website. There are people who disagree with that. They think it's doing exactly its job. That it's cut back uh, the uh, uh, emissions and and release of, of toxic substances. Unfortunately, though, we know that uh, fish kill in Illinois is huge mm-hmm. because of these kinds of facilities. Uh, so my feeling, my message to Governor, incoming Governor Pritzker, would be, dude, you need to look at this law. Okay, it's flawed, and we have a huge change in the General Assembly as well. Are you thinking that this might be a time to get to Springfield? We got sixty seconds here. Do you think uh, this might be a time to get to Springfield and take care of this, uh, Karen?
10: Yeah, I think this is a good window of opportunity for us. So. So many more people now are educated about the issue. We've got so much science behind us, citizens behind us, and, and folks all over the state asking for change. So we're going to look forward to that, Mike.
4: All right. Let's get uh, – I want to thank you guys, Thad King, Crystal Claire, Karen Hudson. Uh, good luck. Keep us posted. We, we'll talk more if we need to. Uh, uh, Peggy, you've got the information on the humanities event?
3: Uh, land Use and Environmental Ethics, uh, December 6th, 6, 6 to 8 p.m. at the American Indian Center – 3401 West Ainsley Street in Chicago. Karen will be there along with five other panelists.
4: And you're going to be talking about antibiotics, aren't you? Yes. That's one of the many issues going on. There's just so many, Karen. Uh, I want to thank you all. I appreciate the time you took out on a Sunday. Rick DeMaio and Weather is next. Now, for something completely different for the season, the Frozen Robins! Oh, holy night!
5: Late December, back in 1 B.C. T'was the
2: night of the nativity. What a baby, what a night!
4: Talented, funny, unique, the Frozen Robins are Chicago's number one caroling group. Exquisite harmonies, madcap improvisation, holiday sketches and characters, even a 10-minute version of It's a Wonderful Life. They are definitely not your mother's carolers.
5: To child, go, go
4: to frozenrobins.com or contact me, Mike, at mikenovac.net. Because I'm not just a fan of the Frozen Robins, I are one.
2: Yeah.
4: This is Mike Novak. The song says it's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you're homeless. And I'm Bill Turk. It's hard to know what to do, but you can design a care kit for people in need, something that will do some good in the short
8: run.
3: And I'm Peggy Malecki. The number one item people need is good socks, high quality wool or thermal. Hats, gloves and scarves are also important, along with hygiene products like deodorant, body wash, toothbrushes and toothpaste, band-aids, lip balm, wet wipes, even nail clippers.
4: Food products can include high-protein snacks, easy-to-open tuna, crackers and peanut butter, applesauce, granola bar, or fruit rolls. And I put everything in a one-gallon Ziploc bag. And if you can, make a connection. Offer a smile or even your first name.
3: And don't forget to include some feminine products, too.
4: You're not changing the world.
3: Just making one person's world
4: a little better for a little while.
5: How Ow! Ow! Z. Oh 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 oh, Alan! Oh 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 oh, Dee! Alan! Alan! Shut up, Wesley! Uh.
4: Uh, it's my new favorite Christmas carol because it's partly because it's so short.
3: <laughs> you know, you it's know gonna be that, Randall's lasting legacy. And that's that's a funny thing when
4: you're doing carols, when you're caroling for groups, uh, they're interested in about 15 seconds and then they walk away. It's like. Boy, our we have no attention spans anymore, and our most of our songs are not even two minutes long. And it's twenty seconds, they're out the door. See ya. Oh, great song. Okay, gotta go. Wow. So you were going to say something about uh...
3: about that spot that just ran? Oh, right, right. Thanks to Bill Turk uh,
4: and coming in the other day, uh, we put together a little thing about care packages, if you or care kits, if you <laughs> want uh, to give to people on the street. Uh, those are just some suggestions yeah. in that. I mean, it's it's not the ultimate uh, care kit, but there are some good ideas mm-hmm. for what you can do, and mainly socks.
3: Yeah, socks, gloves, warm, good socks, yeah, not and cheap good gloves. So,
4: right. Not Well, you know, or double up on the gloves yeah. or whatever you can because, you, you know.
3: But when we were checking a lot of sites to do some research to create the spot, everything kept pointing back to the most important things that people ask for is socks
4: yeah it is true all right speaking of uh socks the guy was wearing a double pair today uh i believe he was out and about rick
3: DeMille good morning
9: yeah good morning mike and peg i don't think i have double socks on it's kind of nice out right
3: now yeah but you were cross-country skiing earlier this week you said
9: yeah yeah you're right peg i was uh it's an area just to the north of the college of lake county um, I'm not too sure what the name of the forest reserve is, but um, it was nice. There was some, there was some deer, there was some geese, there were some ducks that I said hello <laughs> to, and they all agreed that. Um, I don't not. I'm not a fan of uh, December in November.
4: <laughs> You're not. Uh,
9: I thought you found it interesting. Well, no, no, no. They're they're not. They're not. I'm oh, I'm okay are... with it, ah. but okay. All right. Yeah. I, I think I think we can all agree this was like the world's shortest autumn, wasn't it?
4: It was there. It, it barely existed. And remember, in the spring, how long and cold the mm-hmm. spring was. Uh, and oh, yeah. So I,
9: I, I think I think officially we had four weeks of spring and four weeks four weeks of fall.
4: So <laughs> where where's your global warming now, huh?
9: Oh yeah, don't get me started about that. Uh, <laughs> Because uh, I, I actually I did post something on Facebook, which you know me I'm not I'm not much of a Facebook poster, no. but man it, it certainly got a lot of legs between uh, a couple of people that I actually knew from school back in my days at Wisconsin uh, and a very very uh, notable professor of atmospheric science, John Knox, at the University of Georgia. Yeah. So, yes, um, I get a chance to look at that stuff. It is pretty interesting how they go back and forth. And oh, even, oh even yeah. Actually...
3: That
4: post. Yeah, I ju- <laughs> I actually jumped into that. I just made one comment and then I got out real quick. Okay.
9: <laughs> well, well, here's here's the odd part about it the guy that John Knox was having the argument with um, actually was in the meteorology program at the University of Wisconsin. Wow. So go figure, right?
4: Yeah. I, I don't get that at all either. Wow.
9: No, no, no. But let, let's talk about the stuff that's happening now. Okay. We just finished up. Uh, The month of November turned out to be the seventh coldest uh, on record in Chicago, dating back to 1884. Uh, It was the fourth snowiest with 12.7 inches of snow. We had 12 days of either measurable snow or a trace of snow, which I don't remember the last time we've ever had that. And then we followed up, guys, with um, one of the worst tornado outbreaks in the history of northern and central Illinois, Uh, dating back to 1951. Our records go back to 1950, but we had a couple of F3s and F4s that moved through southern Illinois in 1951 in December. And the odd thing about it is that there was probably a pretty good chance that some of those uh, tornadoes that were on the northern side of that outbreak actually moved across... Snow-covered farm fields. How odd is that?
4: That's really weird. Wow. And you've got Randall nodding his head because I don't know if you know this. Our engineer Randall. Randall is. Um, you know, you're a storm chaser, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, he he doesn't do it every day, but he's he he fills in where necessary. So you should have been downstate <laughs> yesterday, Randall.
0: Unfortunately, I was here.
4: <laughs> yeah. It just. I saw the uh, the information you sent me, Rick, and I. I, I have to admit, I had no idea that was going on in the other part of the state, and I knew yeah. it was raining like crazy up here, but I should have figured with the heavy rains here, something was going on someplace else.
9: Yeah, and, and in fact, uh, wind gusts is 75 miles per hour and just straight-line winds at Springfield, Illinois. Uh, and again, there were, I think, three or four reports of at least F3, if not F4 tornadoes, from what I can see. Um, the the wedge nature of one of those tornadoes uh, was very similar to what we saw around here with the Washington, Illinois tornado, which was back in November of 2013. And even then, that was November 17th, I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is really late in the year, and that was actually a warm November, and now we have one of the coldest Novembers on record. We have a blizzard across parts of central areas of Illinois, and then we follow it up. With an F three tornado on the first of December, I mean, how weird is this weather getting?
4: It is. It is kind of odd. Um, so, what happens at this point? Uh, you said uh, you wrote to. I, I went through your slideshow. Okay, about the storm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because so, sure. I know. I know. I know. I'm going to be graded on it. And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and
9: but the, Don't worry, there's, there's no there's no rubric to how you respond on a post. Okay, <laughs>
4: but the, this is all going to wrap around here and then turn into snow uh, later today and tomorrow, right?
9: Yeah, yeah. It looks like probably by about maybe six or seven o'clock this evening, the backside of the storm system uh, is finally going to kind of drag its heels uh, through parts of the Midwest and kind of change whatever is in the atmosphere right now or into snow. Uh, and, again, parts of the Midwest got about four to six inches of snow across Iowa. Uh just saw some posts from a friend of mine up in the Lake Delton area, which is up in the Dells, got about four to five inches of mm. snow up there. But what's also interesting, guys, this is really, really wet stuff. So even if it's snow and people don't like it, this is actually really good Uh, From a standpoint, for anything that you planted in the ground about two or three weeks ago, you got some nice moisture in the ground that's going to take you uh, through the coldest parts of winter. Nearly an inch and a half of rain fell yesterday. We had nearly an inch and a half of precipitation with the snow last week. So as a gardener and as a farmer, you look at this as rain, and when you get this much water in the ground in the middle to end of of November into early December, all you're thinking about is how beneficial this is to your crops when they start to come up again uh, in late March and early April.
4: Well, it's something I was thinking about, Rick, because uh, I put stuff in the ground late in the season. It was a dry fall. We didn't have a right. little, Yeah, mm-hmm. and now we're getting some of that moisture. All, all
3: the trees and shrubs got watered in nicely. And I was happy that we, yep. had, yeah. we,
4: we had a week where we had this snow cover, which was protecting the temperatures of the soil, and now we That's have even right. more moisture.
9: That's exactly right, yep.
4: So yep. good stuff, yeah. All right, well, so what's the yeah. what's uh, Go ahead. Yeah.
9: Yeah, so, so, so we got through the therapeutic, the therapeutic part of making feel people feel okay about the lousy November that we've had. But real quickly, in 30 seconds, uh, a little bit of wet snow tonight, maybe dusting to an inch across areas of northern Indiana, and then basically temperatures fall back into the mid-30s uh, during the day on Monday, low 30s on Tuesday, and then they stay pretty much below normal, uh, anywhere between 5 and 10 degrees below normal. For so the next six to ten days, and if we get any more significant snow, that's beyond our our ability to forecast out to seven days. Otherwise, uh, have an enjoyable rest of the first day of this or second day of December, guys.
4: Right, and you're saying so you don't see any uh, measurable snow in the next seven days or so.
9: Nothing, nothing really substantial in the next, we'll say five to six days. But this this kind of pattern because it's got so much. Cold air to know it can easily squeeze out an inch, but nothing or anything coming back at us anytime soon, like we saw around here last Sunday.
4: All right. Thank you. Talk to you next week, Rick. That was good, guys. Bye. All right, I want to thank Nicole Doucette uh, from uh, Open Water, Bill McLaughlin from U.S. Botanic Garden, Joe Hygien, Shady Hill Gardens, and uh, Karen Hudson, Crystal Claire, and Thad King talking about KFOs. Until next time, go green or go home.
5: Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing.
7: Well, you didn't miss much.